Welcome to this episode of the Free Your Energy Podcast. I'm your host, Sylvester McNutt III, best-selling author of Care Package, Free Your Energy, the creator of the Build Your Boundary programs. Speaking of boundaries, I'm so excited for you to hear today's chat with my guest, Kelsey Grant. This conversation is electric. It's genuine. I hope you tune into the entire thing. Real quick, right before we get into it, this upcoming Sunday, I'm doing a workshop that will be a part of the Build Your Boundaries course. In this workshop, the workshop is titled, How to Stop People Pleasing. We're going to talk about the framework to stop people pleasing. See, people pleasing is... It, it, it falls directly in line with boundaries. I will say that boundaries is the more overarching topic and people pleasing is more of the more of a the micro topic that can get inserted into it. Now here's the deal. When you are people pleasing, what you are doing is you are violating your own boundaries, or you are violating your own inner voice, or you can actually fill it in, your own passions, your own body your own ideas, your own energy. You can almost fill in the blank. So people-pleasing is not something that we need to continue. It's not something we need to continue. See, there is a difference, though, in serving, giving, showing up for people, helping, providing. There's a difference because with people-pleasing, it internally feels wrong to you. As it's happening, something feels off. And you're saying to yourself, wow, like this is, this is off. So this upcoming Sunday, come on in, let's, let's jam. I'm going to be, I'm going to be going for a good hour. I'm going to give you a framework on how to stop people pleasing. It's uh, all the content is going to go directly into the build your boundaries course. Uh, So if you're already a student of the build your boundaries course, you don't have to register. Uh, Just wait for me to email you the link uh, and you'll get the link. If you're not a student of the Build Your Boundaries course, go to buildyourboundaries.net and register today. You'll get this upcoming uh, workshop this Sunday, which is how to stop people pleasing. And then next Sunday, we're doing another workshop. That workshop is called How to Use Boundaries to Reach My Goals. So if you're in that phase of life where you're like, hey, I, I, I got some goals. I have some dreams. I have aspirations. I have things I'm trying to do. By signing up, you get both of these workshops, plus you get the Build Your Boundaries course that has transformed people's lives. With all that being said, I look forward to serving you guys this Sunday and next Sunday. And I look forward to you listening to this episode of the Free Your Energy podcast with my guest, Kelsey Grant. Let's go. Free Your Energy. Uh, where are you at? Where are you located? I'm in Vancouver, Canada. So oh, okay. it's very hot and sunny. We just came through an extreme heat wave for Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad it's like back to normal temperature. <laughs> I can mm-hmm. function again like a normal human. Yeah, my editor is in Vancouver, my video editor. And he texts me. He's like, bro, how do you do this? Because I'm in Arizona. And mm-hmm. it was like, I guess it was like 105 up there, 107, like Fahrenheit. I'm like, man, I'm just going to pray for you. All you can do is drink water and find shade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So true. So, so true. So tell me what present moment, like I know a lot of the times when we do podcasts and keynotes, we start telling our story. Like, you know, we love that hero's journey. This is what I went through. This is what I overcame. Like, and that's beautiful and everything, but I'm just curious present moment what's life like for you what what theme is most on your heart right now what Mm. energy is flowing through you in the present Mm. what's flowing through in the present is this whole experience of disassembling in order to reassemble and rebuild so that's really been on my mind and my heart so much in the past probably like month, but in these last few weeks, it feels like I've gone through the descent. 
and like played in, in the undertow there and like really, you know, was in the muck with it for so long. And then now it's starting to come back up in this phase of creation. So this is something that's so important to me. Like if we are going to be creators, like so much of creation is linked to our relationship with destruction or being able to disassemble the parts of us that are just no longer serving the parts of our identity that are just no longer serving so that we can serve the deeper truth within us and create from that place of connection to the deeper truth. So that's really what's (laughs) alive really, really intensely right now for me. Was there a moment that, that triggered it? Was there a life change that triggered it? Was it more of just a natural process? How did you, how did you get in this descent and rebirth process? (laughs) I think it was a series of events that really like put together, brought me to this place. And it started with my grandfather passing away in early 2020. And then we go into lockdown and then I'm in lockdown and I'm really contemplating is the relationship I'm in the one that's most aligned for the next chapter of my journey. And that was a really tough thing to sit with because the truth kept pinging me being like, it's time to go. And then the stubborn identity parts of me were like, no, like you got to stick it out and like, you can make it work. And like, (laughs) I'm like, Kelsey, sometimes the most loving thing to do is to leave a relationship where you're not in service to each other. Like you've gone as far as you can go. And so that was a pretty big rupture that happened last summer. And then it kind of, it it was, it was pretty like smooth sailing until the new year hit and him and I finally decided to completely sever our connection with each other because we had separated and broken up, but we were still talking every day. And like, we're not really going to go through the initiations that we need to go through if we keep holding on to each other this way. So it was actually when we finally let go of each other and I'd received this intuitive hit that I needed to stop doing my main program in my business. And so that kind of sent me into a bit of a tailspin because I'm like, what? Like I I'm fighting like the knowing of my intuition of like, I should, this is like the main way I make money. And like, I've been doing this for eight years and like, I'm finally like in the zone with it. But spirit truth was like, you got to let it go. Like you got to let it go. And so the actual like descent happened when I finally let go and did like this trust fall with the universe. Like, okay, show me what's next. And like the whole process of that was like really taking myself back to ground zero business wise and relying on the support of not only my friends, but also my family and be in full reception. And as someone who is an overfunctioner by nature, like I'm like reception is not the easiest thing for me. I'm like, I can do it on my own. Like I've got this, like I can hustle and grind and like, create a lot of results that way. But my system was burning out. My system was like, we need to invite the feminine principle back in here. You need to be balanced. You want to talk about union, like divine union and partnership. You need to learn how to be in union with yourself. And right now your masculine is on overdrive and we need to introduce the feminine principle of rest, restoration, mystery, (laughs) going down into the descent so that you can touch truth and play there for a little while. Like stay in the unknown. You don't need to force your way through it. All will be revealed when it's meant to be revealed. And you have to keep opening. You have to keep surrendering open, surrender open. So those were kind of the big pivotal pieces that led to like really dancing in the descent. And then once I was dancing in the descent, I was like, why haven't I done this before? Like, this is actually a really juicy place to be. 
I go, oh, I'm feeling like my life force coming back. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then after being in that for a few months, then the clarity started to come of like, this is how you're going to reassemble everything. You don't have to throw out everything you've ever created and start from completely ground zero, but you're going to reorganize it and reorient it in a new way so that it's in service to not only the deeper truth in you, but it's in service of the balance between the masculine drive for, you know, moving forward, innovation, creation, and also the feminine principle, which is rest, restoration, balance, going internal. So that was a very long-winded answer to your question. (laughs) Here we are. Thank you for your description and your thoroughness. But we have to go back to the grandfather passing away. Uh, I listened to the episode on your podcast where you talked about your experience writing the eulogy and being, mm-hmm. you know, being a writer. And mm-hmm. it instantly took me back to 2014 when I had to do this talk at my dad's funeral. Mm-hmm. And I haven't really heard another person who works in a similar space that I do share that experience. So I'm wondering if if you could take me back to what that was like, you know, uh, you know, your grandfather transitioning and then the feelings you had as a as a person at the time. But then also, you know, as a creative saying, hey, you know, I'm going to use this opportunity as a creative to to Mm -hmm. share, you know, because it's so it's so beautiful. All the art that we love. I'm not going to say it all comes from a place of pain because that's not true, but it comes from a very serious place, a very deep place. Sometimes it's pain, sometimes it's joy. And, um, you know, I just know as a, as a, as a singer, songwriter and creator that I know you went to a place that you probably don't get to go to often. So I would love to hear more about that journey. Yeah. Um, it was a, it was an interesting period of time because my grandfather actually gave us like a month of grace to prepare for his transition. So we didn't even know that he was sick. And in January, he just declined really quickly. And it was like the first time my intuition like really came up with like a vengeance in my body. And I just trusted the knowing that it was close for him to transition. And so I booked a trip and I went back to visit him to say goodbye. And it was so beautiful because he literally waited until all of the grandkids could come back to say goodbye before he transitioned. And my mom and I were there with my grandma um, the night before he passed away and I could feel it in my body. I knew it was close and the weekend, the last weekend that I had with him, I had an opportunity to tell him all of the things in my heart, all of the things that he had done that had inevitably shaped the person that I had become and all of the, the life lessons that he had embodied and how that translated into my lived experience so that he knew kind of crossing over to the other side that his life had really meant something. And it was a very, very emotionally dense weekend. Like I was so drained after that weekend of like being in this room with him, knowing that he's dying and having the, like this one last opportunity. Cause I think people wait until the funeral to, you know, tell all of the wonderful stories and like, this is what they meant to me. I'm like, why aren't you saying those things while they're still on earth side? Why are you not saying those things to your family members before they even get to the point of being sick or your friends or the people that are most important to you? And so I'm like, Kelsey, this is your opportunity to translate all of that to him. Even though he's not totally coherent and conscious, like he's going to get the energetics, he's going to get the message. And when I left him, I knew that it wasn't going to be much longer and so we, we drove back home, which was five hours. And then I think about five hours later, he passed away. And he waited until there was no one in the room and he could just go on his own. 
And even though like it was obviously so, so sad when he left because I had had a chance to say all the things in my heart, the truth in my heart, there was this experience of like deep grief, but also relief and trust and knowing. And so when the family was kind of putting together like the funeral arrangements, I kept hearing all of like their details, but I'm like, there's no one doing a eulogy. And it was just going to be like a Catholic mass. And so I asked my mom, I'm like, who's doing the eulogy? Like, this is obviously a ceremonial thing. Like it's important for us to have this ritual to complete the, the circuit here. But also like this is an opportunity to highlight and celebrate and revere the life that our grandfather lived. So who is doing that? And she said, no one. My, but my grandma didn't want that. And so I called my grandma. I was like, is it that you don't want someone to do a eulogy or is it that you don't want to ask someone to do the eulogy? And she's like, I don't want to put that burden on anybody. Like that's too big of a thing to ask. And I'm like, listen, I public speak for a living. I write for a living. I sing for a living. I coach for a living. Like I will do it. And it was, it was like this deep knowing in my body. Like you have to say, you have to say that you'll do this or no one will do it. And like, it's this whole concept of like, if you're waiting for someone to do the thing that you think should be existing in the world, like maybe you're the one that's supposed to do the thing and not put it on another person. And so I offered to do it and she was overjoyed. It caused a lot of fuckery in our family because my mom's family, well, they've got some stuff that they haven't really. <laughs> I <dealt> with. <laughs> I and so it caused like a big rupture in parts of the family system, but it was this thing, this experience of being so deeply connected to what's true. And I was like, I don't fucking care that your identity is having an issue right now. Like I'm serving the deeper knowing, the deeper truth, the deeper love here. And I reached out to all of my cousins and all of my aunts and uncles. And I asked them to give me one word that described our grandfather in like in their memory, in their heart. And then I wove all of those words into the eulogy, including words from his great grandchildren that were like two and four. And it was interesting because the only like siblings, like, I guess like my mom contributed, my dad contributed, even though my parents are divorced and none of my mom's siblings contributed and my grandma didn't contribute either but all of the grandchildren and the great grandchildren did. And it ended up being, I think this 10 page eulogy. And I, I went to this coffee shop that has these beautiful chairs and just the energetic of the space. I'm like, this is where I'm being guided to go. So I'm going to go. And I'd been feeling like the rumbling in my system and like having to move a lot of grief energy through so that I could be available to the words that wanted to come through that were the deepest honoring of who he was. And I sat there probably for three, four hours and just wrote. And it was like a stream of consciousness that came through and all of the words that had been contributed just fit so perfectly into this piece of art that was channeled through. Like, I can't even take credit for it. Like it was something bigger than me that was moving through me and that became like this unifying energy for the family system that had just been erupted and like fractured a little bit. And when I showed it to my grandma, I showed it to her before I did it at the eulogy. And she was like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever read. And then I did it at the funeral and I have like, it's literally the hardest thing I have ever had to do. Like, and this is one of the reasons why I didn't pursue music professionally because I, I feel things very deeply. And even like 
when I'm like singing or performing a very emotional song, like the emotion almost takes me over. And when there's a lot of people giving their, their energy and like feeding that back, like it's almost too much for my system. And so being in this experience where I'm literally doing the hardest thing I've ever done, it's so emotional. It's so vulnerable. And it's also you can let yourself emote like this idea that you have, that you have to have it all together. I'm like, you don't, you, you can cry if you need to cry while you're saying these words, like that's the most true and honest expression of where you're at and what's really true in your heart. And so I allowed the tears to come. I allowed the quiver to happen in my voice. I let myself take breaths when I needed breath to stop when I needed to stop and like sit in that discomfort. I'm like, this might be uncomfortable for people to see me emoting and like not having it together. And that is what's in deepest service because that's, what's coming through. And after the, the funeral was over a bunch of my grandfather's friends, people I had never met in my entire life came up to me and they're like, you summarized every single thing that we know to be true about Bob. Like, like you, you got it all. Like, how did you do that? Like it, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it came through me. Like, and I was, I was just a vehicle. I was just a vessel for what needed to be said in order to support his transition into the other side, into the next realm of where he's meant to go. And like, after that, it was this very cathartic opening. So like, even though there was grief, what I felt more deeply was an opening, an opening of my heart, an opening of my energetic system, the ability to actually hold more energy than I've ever been able to hold in my life. And this knowing that if I could do that, I'm literally capable of doing anything or facing anything or moving through anything that comes for the rest of my life. And after that experience, I felt my grandfather around me more than I ever had, even when he was alive. Like, this is so interesting now that he's in the spirit realm. Like, I feel like I have more conversations with him now (laughs) that he's passed into another realm than I did when he was, you know, in his human container. And that's been a really special thing that I don't know would have happened if I hadn't have been cracked wide open through that entire process of, you know, agreeing to do the eulogy, then writing it and then giving it and then sitting with the impact that that had on every single person who attended. That was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Uh, podcast is over. I'm shutting it down. <laughs> I'm retiring. This is it. <laughs> This is it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh my goodness! Like, oh man, you were in a place. You know, when people ask me, and I'm sure they ask you too, "What's my purpose? How do I find my purpose? What am I living for? What's what is life's destiny?" You know, you know those questions. Mm-hmm. It's like. What makes you think you can answer that question? Because your your purpose, as much as you want to try to dictate it, make a plan for it, try to manifest it, make it happen, a lot of the times it happens to you mm-hmm. or it happens for you. See, at that moment, your purpose in life was to be a vessel for all those people you named. You brought together generations of people through your skill, through your talent, through your fear, through your own breathing, through your own everything you are also experiencing. Your purpose at that moment was to serve yourself, your grandfather, all of your your family members. And then obviously now us here and everybody that has heard you, you tell a piece of that story, you're serving them as well. 
It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. Thank you so much. Thank you. Very, very. I wrote something down that you said. You said you said it twice. That's why I have to ask you about it. You were talking about the feminine feminine principles, bringing yourself back into balance, uh, rest, restore, mystery. Can you can you break this down for me? Can you, yes. can you bring me into that world? I, yes. I felt like I need, to, I need to know exactly what you're describing. Yes. So when I talk about the feminine, I'm talking about the energetics. So it's not a gendered term. And when I talk about the masculine, obviously it's the energetics as well. So the simplest breakdown I have for that is the masculine is more external, like outward moving. The feminine is internal or inward and down. So a lot of, you know, personal development, a lot of spirituality is this up and out sort of experience. So we're looking for ascension, right? And it's also like very, it can be very focused externally. So like what's going on outside of you and we kind of demonize the feminine principle just in our culture in general. And we demonize rest. Like we demonize restoration, um, feeling deeply or having space to feel deeply. So the masculine principle on overdrive is this need, this compulsive need to keep doing, 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 doing external focus, external focused. And like, we're always like focused on the next goal or the next target. Versus the feminine principle is the internal experience. So going down and in. And for me, as a person who has a womb, that means going down and into my womb space. Because that is the portal. That is this, this opening, this grand opening for me to access the deepest truth of my power. And without spaciousness, without you know, time for rest, restoration, and also building up the emotional capacity and resilience to sit in the unknown. So the masculine, logical, linear, like we got to have an answer for everything. And then the feminine is the mystery. And if we even look at the whole process of birth, like there's so much mystery, there's so much dark energy in terms, I don't mean like evil energy, but like just dark, the womb is dark. And then when a baby passes through the portal, that's when it comes into the light, but it's incubated in the darkness. It's incubated in this safe, warm, wet, dark mystery. And then when it's ready, it comes through earth side and then starts, you know, the human being, human doing sort of experience. And being conditioned in a patriarchal system and society, like there's so much focus on the masculine principle. And there's a lot of distrust or demonization of the feminine principle. And when we internalize that as human beings, as I have done, I find myself in like building a company and building a business, but I'm on, I'm running on fumes. I'm burnt out because I'm not actually honoring the feminine principle, which is the time for incubation. So you have, when I had my first like realization of I had to reassemble my whole business that happened in December, like on the solstice of 2020. And it wasn't until one month ago that all of the pieces came together and I was like, Oh, okay, this is what we're doing now. And so I had to sit in that incubation period for six months of not knowing, like six months of not knowing where I'm going or how this is working or what I'm being called to do. But because of like many experiences of like allowing myself to open, to be a vessel and a vehicle for something greater to work through me, I trusted that I surrendered into the feminine principle I surrendered into, okay, well, this must be a period of time that I need more rest, that I need more spaciousness, that I get to experience everything that comes up for me when I don't know what the answer is, or I don't know where I'm going next. Like, who do I become when I'm kind of plopped into a period of time where it's unclear? 
And what is my impulse there? So it was this beautiful experience of getting even more intimate with my interior, more intimate with my human, more intimate with my divine nature and seeing how those are all jiving together. So that now that it's all become more clear, my masculine can be like, okay, now it's time to like take these actions and create these things. And then my feminine is like, great. Now we have to balance that out with time for rest, time for play, time to be in the mystery of life. So it's, it's always going to be an constant unwinding and exploration for the rest of my life of this balance between these two energetics in my system so that I can create from a place of divine union. So a balance between these two energetic forces within me so that I'm not relying only on the feminine principle. Like that would be just as destructive as only the masculine because I wouldn't ever do anything. I'd be like, oh, it's I'm sitting in the, in the unknown, in the nothingness. And like, I, I just have to wait for another download, wait for another download and you know, <laughs> never actually take action. And then we have, you know, the side where it's um, imbalanced with the masculine of like always taking action and like forcing an agenda instead of allowing what's true to work through you. So that's kind of the, the overview of what I mean by that. What was the number one thing in that last five month period that gave you the most resistance? The thing that I had the most resistance around was actually letting go of my signature program. Mm -hmm. That was because I'd poured so much of my identity into that program. Like, this is what I do. And like, (laughs) this is, you know, this is the only thing I do. And like, I just coach these small groups and like, I really like that. And like, I don't have to like take on like these big groups of energy. And, and then my spirit was like, no, that was an important step, but it's not the end destination. You are going somewhere else. And there was also like similar resistance to what was being asked of me next. Like there is this internal tension and grittiness around like, well, I don't know what's going to be asked of me next. And like, what if I don't like it? Or what if I can't do it? (laughs) And what if I don't want to create those things? And I'm like, because you still have free will. (laughs) And the truth of your spirit would not give you something that A, you weren't incapable of doing, or that was so far off of, you know, the areas that you find joy and pleasure and a lot of fulfillment teaching inside of. It's just going to restructure it so that it can be more balanced. But before like that insight or that realization came through, like it was really mucky sitting in the unknown and then watching this impulse in me to just want to hustle, to just want to like, oh, I'm just going to like frantically create something else and like try and force this idea of where I should go versus open and receive the insight, the revelation of where I'm actually supposed to go. And so that, that honestly was the toughest thing. And then also having to really sit in receivership when like it got like really gritty, like, okay, I actually have to allow other people to support me right now. And as someone who's been running a business for 12 years, that was a big fucking blow to my ego to be like, Oh, now you have to like take on a loan. Like you've never had to do that in 12 years of business. I'm like, maybe there's something to that. (laughs) Maybe there's like some humbling in terms of like my, how much my ego has actually been driving that I wasn't even aware. So that whole ego death was really, really tough. And there was a lot of resistance to allowing the support from my family to come in and hold me so that I could be available to the thing that was going to come through me next. 
how do you find balance between you know your your passion of singing and and doing your music running a business rest relationship family how how do you find a balance with everything in life that calls you mm-hmm. mm. uh i mean i use my masculine for that like i put in structures into my life that like carve out time that this is just nothing time this is nothing time just for me time then i have like parts of my schedule where i connect with my family every week and i have pockets of the week where i'm in service in my containers and i also prioritize rehearsing with my bandmate on a weekly basis so i'm always getting an opportunity to play in the things that i most value so i prioritize that into my schedule and then the times that i've scheduled for like free time or spaciousness that's where i get to like explore in the feminine and like okay i have a totally unstructured day today so i'm just going to let my intuition lead me where it wants to go so show me where you want me to go show me what you want me to experience today and so i make sure i have at least one of those days one completely unstructured day in my week so that i can get recharged in the feminine principle and then i have a lot of boundaries i know you're like big on boundary work too and like i just have a lot of boundaries within my containers and with my clients of what i am available for and what i'm not available for and i have boundaries with my friends i have boundaries with my family like i have boundaries with myself and a lot of that boundary work allows me to keep a much more balanced perspective and to add like another layer of complexity on here like i also structure all of that according to my cycle so as a woman as a person with a womb and a menstrual cycle it's inevitable that i have different energy levels at different times of my cycle. And so I will usually prioritize a lot more rest on the week that I'm bleeding. And then after my bleed, I have the energy of a thousand suns. So I'm going to prioritize a lot of my creative work, a lot of my meetings, like I'm going to front load a lot of that into those parts of my cycle. And then the week where I call it crunch week where I'm getting really irritable and <laughs> Mm -hmm. everything is like just crunching on me (laughs) I'm like okay maybe we should limit our you know contact with other humans at this point uh do not schedule a lot of meetings during this time and tend to like that crunchy energy by front-loading more like high intensity exercise so I have a way to like offload that in a way that's productive so I'm not offloading it onto people And I think that's what happens a lot with humans is that they don't give themselves permission to clear that energy or offload it in a way that's really honorable to their system and honorable to the people around them. And so what ends up happening is they off gas that, or they offload it onto their partner, onto their friends, onto a stranger on the street. And you know, there's a lot of ramifications to that. Like there's consequences to being that, uh, not like you're just not being intentional with your energy. You're not being responsible for your energy when you're doing that. And then there's a lot of cleanup that has to happen and a lot of repair that has to happen if we aren't responsible for our power and our energy and moving it through in ways that are responsible for ourselves that are in service to the thing that we're here to serve in service to our relationships and keeping those healthy. So energetic responsibility. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just think, I just think about when these random fights happen in the mall or at the gas station, you know, or Mm -hmm. you see these viral clips of people cursing each other out at like Walmart or CVS. And I, I just say to myself, like, you had that energy on you when you left the house. Yep. Like there's almost nothing that can happen in a 60 second time span to make you, unless someone like obviously attacks you, right? Sure. But 
in a situation where two people just start talking and then they end up fighting. Like, well, you weren't responsible for your energy mm-hmm. at all. And now you're dealing with the situation where you're in 7-Eleven fighting some stranger. It's like, no. Or like, I like how you brought up relationships, how, you know, you can go to work and you don't metabolize your day. You don't decompress. You don't, you don't get, get it off of you. And you just immediately come home or you just immediately come to your park. And instead of having that loving or, or nurturing or nourishing or curiosity or the mystery, like the things that are more safer for a relationship engagement, you're bringing your anger from being at work. Yeah. You're bringing your resentment because so-and-so got the promotion over you or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. It's like we need to be responsible for how we're using our energy. And I really like how you, you used the, that word spaciousness. And you were saying you will just pick a day where you won't have any meetings. You won't have anything planned and you'll just really listen to your intuition. That I, every time I interview someone and talk with someone, I always try to integrate something yeah. from the conversation. I see myself looking to integrate that. Beautiful. Because, uh, you know, I like to do things. I don't always like me being sick is like the only time I'm like, all right, don't do anything. Mm-hmm. But why do I have to get sick to not do anything? Well, it's because I love I love the hustle. I love the drive. I love getting up. I love feeling like I have purpose. Right. Well, you're making me reflect and ask myself, am I giving myself the spaciousness? I don't think I have there. Mm-hmm. So can we talk about the spaciousness a little bit more and and. What does that look like? Does that look like, okay, Friday, I've got nothing planned. And if I end up at the mall, I end up at the mall. Like mm-hmm. if I end up eating cake, I end up eating cake. Is that how it works for you? Is it is there more of an outline to it? Um, basically the night before when I, I have like my day of space, I don't set an alarm. So I allow my body to wake up when it wants to wake up. So I'm already tending to a deep core need that I have for sleep and rest. And then when I wake up, I just keep asking myself throughout the day, Hey, what, what is in truest service to you in this moment? Sometimes what's in truest service is going for a walk and getting a donut and having a coffee and, you know, just people watching other days. It's like, go get a green juice And I really want to go to that fitness class, or I really want to do this long walk on the seawall. And and I just, every single moment throughout the day, I'm just asking myself, what is in service to my greatest need? What is in service to my greatest truth? And let that be revealed. And then I just follow the intuitive hit. And I end up in the most random and magical places sometimes with the most serendipitous experiences because my intuition is guiding me to have these experiences with people or sometimes it's not even a person that I'm having an experience with. Sometimes I might just have a really magical serendipitous experience with animals. Like I might witness something in nature that is so profound and it helps click something that I've been struggling with or contemplating and other days I'll just go out and I'll go for walks and I'm like, I'm just going to go out with the intent of collecting evidence of things that please and delight me, or I'll go out with the intention of like blessing every single person and every single being that I cross paths with. And sometimes I'm looking for evidence of something I really like about every single person that I cross paths with. So there's still an, an element of like working those um, personal development, spiritual development, relational development muscles, but it's in a much more fluid and unstructured way. And depending where I am in my cycle, my body might not want to do like a high intensity workout or, you know, do anything like that. So I, I really listen, like what type of movement would be of service to you today. And sometimes that's just putting on like Taylor Swift and dancing around in my apartment. Or sometimes that's doing some nonlinear movement on hands and knees on the floor and just 
like being like a wild woman. My neighbors must be so delighted to watch what happens in my apartment. They're like, what is she doing over there today? (laughs) She howling at the moon? Probably, probably. (laughs) And so I just, I allow my intuition and like this requires having at least some sort of relationship to my body relationship to my needs because I I do, you know, already hear like some people in the space who are going to be listening to this being like, Oh, this is like a free for all pass of like treating my body like trash and like just going like balls to the wall, like doing all the things that I don't let myself do on a day-to-day basis, which, Hey, like that is going to be part, if that's part of your journey, like, and you got to swing to that extreme, you will swing to that extreme and then come back and find your center point. But those days of spaciousness are really to serve the deeper truth, not serve my ego, not serve my identity. And so I make choices that allow me to continue to be of service with the work that I do with the energy that I bring to the world so that my nervous system is really, really well regulated so that I'm a safe person to be in communication or be in relationship with. And so there's, when you kind of frame it from that point, like you, I make different choices. Like I make different choices when I'm serving the deeper energy within me versus making choices to serve my ego or my identity. And that's really the only governing principle for the day. And then I just allow the feminine to like do her thing. Be like, okay, this is where we're going to go. Or this is what we're going to wear. This is how you're going to do your hair. And like, just let it roll. You mentioned being uh, an over-functioner. Yes. Tell us more about the life (laughs) of an over-functioner. And how you found some balance with that if if possible yeah and where so, do you where do you think that came from the overfunctioning too yeah um well to me like the overfunctioning ultimately overfunctioning is this attempt to control the uncontrollable so where i see it got developed was in response to some really hard things that happened in my family system in my early twenties. So I got kicked out of my house when I was 17. There was a big rupture between me and my parents. And then my parents got divorced shortly after that. So it was like this, like one blow after another and my response, and I shouldn't even call it a response because it wasn't conscious. It was more of a reaction, the survival reaction to what had happened. Like everything was so chaotic in my experience, like my emotions were like, so on overdrive, that I developed this strategy to try and control what I was experiencing. So if I can over function, that gives me a sense of control and certainty, which were the things that were missing for me when all of that shit went down. And so it it kind of developed really early on and it showed up primarily in work. So I would just work all the time and then I would go and drink or party. And that's, you know, kind of acceptable in our culture too. Like over-functioning, being a workaholic, like these are things that are praised. Yeah. And so I'm like, it's, there's it's nothing not uncommon. Yeah. yeah. People will say, oh yeah, I work 12 hours a day. Really? Oh, great job. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, Wait, you did what? What? Like, hold <laughs> yeah. on. Half yeah. the day? Yeah. And so like, I really didn't think that there was anything wrong with that. Then when I started my business in 2009, that really kicked into high gear because it fed this story of like, if you don't constantly do something, you won't have clients or you won't be able to pay your rent, da, 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 da. And so that just became coded into my business. And again, I just didn't even notice it until my last relationship. And this is how, you know, my spirit will usually get my attention is through relational patterns and relational ruptures because I really don't pay attention to anything else. (laughs) Like relationships are so important to me that when something gets brought up in a relational container, it immediately grabs my attention. 
And so I found myself in a relationship with someone who was an underfunctioner. And I didn't know that when we first got together because he was living on his own and doing his own thing. And then he moved across the country to be in the same city as me. And he moved back home with his parents. And it was only supposed to be a temporary thing to kind of start his business, get back on track, which, hey, I don't have a problem with that at all. But what it ended up doing was like kind of gripping him into these old patterns in his family system where his parents just take care of him. And he had voiced to me that in other relationships, other partners kind of took the lead and would take care of him. And I'm like, oh, okay, like, I don't want to do that with you. Like, let's break the pattern. But there was just so many forces kind of at play with him being back in his home of origin and his family system and like all of the stuff that had never been dealt with in their family system was being brought up for review. So there was just a lot going on in his system. He also had some health issues. And so there was this complete collapse that happened with him. And we had partnered on a couple of business ventures, a couple of programs. And that's where I noticed it because I noticed it wasn't balanced. I was doing the majority of the work and he was just kind of getting to reap the benefits of that. I'm like, this is not okay. And then I brought it to our relational container. He's like, oh yeah, that is what's happening. And like, there was awareness around it, but not enough connection to self to be able to disassemble that in real time. And ultimately like a year of being cooked in that over-functioning role with him. I'm like, I, I can't do it. Like I I'm stepping back, I'm leaning back. And like, you're constantly trying to hook me into being your mother. And I have no interest in doing that. And so like, even though the impulse in me is like, yes, I want to try and control your every move, because if I control you, then you can never leave me like the over-functioning, especially in relationships is this really kind of dark energy around. I want to control and manipulate you so that you're dependent on me. And if you're dependent on me, you will never leave me. So it's like this really weird way. We're trying to get our needs met for belonging that actually never gets our need met for belonging. (laughs) And like I'm I'm done with this pattern. Like I'm disassembling it in my business. I do not want to play this out in my relationship. And we've been attempting to disassemble this together for a year. It's not changing. And so that's why I had to leave my relationship. And it was a hard choice because he's such a good human. Like and he's so talented and he's so gifted and Like there's so much love that I have for him. And sometimes love means saying goodbye. Like, and that's the thing that is challenging when we live in a codependent coded society, which we do. And like over-functioning is like a little offshoot of codependency. Like it keeps you in this codependent loop with each other where there isn't actually space and agency to be, the full range of who you are here to be because you're so caught up in the drama of the person, like not being in optimal functioning. And then you're burnt out because you're over-functioning and it keeps you kind of locked in this paradigm where you're not actually going to be in service to the deeper thing. You're not going to be in service to the thing that you are supposed to bring through on this planet. Like you're just not because we're too busy playing out these very dramatic games with each other. And it was just at a point where I was like, I'm done. Like I can't go where I, I know that I'm headed by continuing to have an allegiance with this pattern. And so it wasn't that I needed to eradicate the relationship. I had every intention to eradicate the pattern But in order to eradicate the pattern, both people have to be in full commitment of eradicating the pattern, or you will have to eradicate the relationship. And (laughs) that was a tricky, tricky thing to have to navigate. But ultimately, like I wouldn't be here now 
in a deeper place of agency and sovereignty within myself had I tried to continue to manipulate that relationship and force him to be ready for a transformation that he wasn't ready for yet. And I have full certainty in my system that he will continue on that path and he will get there, but he's not going, he wasn't going to get there at the timeline that I needed to get him or that I needed us to, to get there too. And that's another thing about relationships. Sometimes you're moving at very different paces and that will mean that you have to diverge your path in order to really honor your own pace and honor the range at which you can explore the transformation that you're here to explore. Like, I don't want to push him beyond his range and staying in relationship would have pushed him past his range, which would not have been love. That would have been another form of control and manipulation. So it really comes down to like this really ugly truth of wanting to control and manipulate other people's behavior or an outcome so that I don't have to touch the more volatile emotions underneath of, well, what does this mean about belonging? What does this mean about like my, my worthiness? What does this mean about my lovability? And when we have a pattern like over-functioning, it's because there's this emotional underbelly that hasn't been tended to. And we're afraid that if we start tending to it, it's going to take over our whole system. So we keep the pattern going and we keep playing into these protective mechanisms that, yeah, it keeps that like swell of emotional energy from penetrating you fully. But it also means that the swell of love and the fullness of your creativity, your magic, your gifts, your talents cannot fully penetrate your system either. And so we're kind of walking around um, a little bit like zombies and like robots because we're like spending so much of our creative life force energy in maintaining these structures so that we don't have to feel the fullness of our life force energy moving through us. And the fullness of our life force is the fullness of our emotional experience and our landscape there. And we have to be able to dance with grief. We have to be able to be in right relationship with our anger, right relationship with our disgust, right relationship with our fear, right relationship with our joy, right relationship with our excitement, with our sexual excitement. We have to be in right relationship with all of those core emotions Otherwise, we are going to really start to wall off and there's a higher chance that we are going to bring on board one of these patterns to help facilitate keeping all of that emotional energy locked down so that we don't have to deal with it. But then it's very hard to be in relationship with anybody if we do not allow the full range of our emotions to move through and we're responsible for the impact of those emotions. So I'm not like running this through my system and like vomiting it on somebody. And I'm not off gassing it onto them and being like, you deal with this. I, I now have enough intimacy with my system to be like, Oh, this is grief or, Ooh, this is rage or, Ooh, this is disgust or, Ooh, this is fear. And then I have a process that I will work through with my body so that I move the energy and then I can communicate from a place of vulnerable openness, what's really true for me. And usually that requires, you know, touching a need or a desire and communicating a boundary. And that takes skill to do. And it also takes a lot of practice in being kind of bogged up and like, it's like a dam and we're in that phase of life for a while. And then we start to open the dam and we're like, Oh, this is kind of chaotic. Like, (laughs) and then eventually we do find our center where we are able to just be in right relationship with our emotional interior and not be afraid of those parts of us because they're normal. They're human. 
And this is so much of my work is being in approval of what's rising. So being in approval of your rage, if that's, if that's what it, what it is, okay, your rage is informing that there's a boundary that's been crossed or there's a violation that's happened. That's important information in order to design a relationship that honors both people or all people involved. 